Welcome back to the USFL Daily Show here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by a very good friend in life and now back from vacation, Justin Freeman. Freeman, how was your vacation and trying to work projections and updates <laughs> from afar for USFL, which tends to, what we're finding out, be a weekly roster shakeup, essentially? Yeah, it's wild. Um What's funny is like I was I was catching a little bit of flack like uh, from some of the subscribers saying like aren't you supposed to be on vacation and I'm sending out injury report updates at 11 p.m. on the in the evening sometimes but uh, no like what else would I rather be doing like if I'm going to be doing USFL news I may as well do it from the uh, beautiful sandy shores of Jamaica no better place than than that for sure so uh, yeah we got more uh, shakeups again this week and I mean like. Say what you will about USFL, but it is a very interesting and unique puzzle that develops weekly in terms of how we're going to approach this. So uh, I've enjoyed the sort of uh, game theory aspects and the the tracking and, and working on making sure we know, um, you know who's up for each of these teams. I think that's been the, the one really positive takeaway is it's been a fun DFS game to try to figure out. I also want to share this tweet very quickly a little broken screen it's no big deal though uh from megan shoop as she mentioned she had a great day because of run the sims and she mentioned she's to hang in the discord more since we spiked another top five in the wildcat seems to be yeah, a constant for everyone in run the sims but i will say megan you don't necessarily have to hang in the discord i would just suggest doing so on top of the projections i like using the data the boom bust rates right uh to to find out about who's in the lineups and then what their upside is. And I'll go ahead and stop sharing that now. If you want to throw back on the overlay, Sal, there you go. We're all working professionals here. But hanging in the chat, at least I would say 10, 15 minutes before that kickoff for the next game certainly helps me. So I like using both. So Megan, you're certainly not doing anything wrong. But if you had to ask me, like, what else would you do? Yes, I like checking out the chat 10 to 15 minutes before, if only because not only Justin, but also Furby, who's a constant in the Wildcat as well, is constantly running in there and making sure we're all up to date on practice squad videos for, for better or worse. I appreciate Furby for everything he does because he's won me money. So... We are back here, and what we're learning, Justin, now six weeks into this, is that my takeaways so far have been, one, you don't need a run back. I'm not opposed to it, but you certainly don't need it. You don't have to force it in like we do with NFL DFS. And two, even though, well, the wide receiver shakeups essentially are insane. And so what we're learning is that there are two or three guys. Victor Bolden stands out the most since he's the one running the most routes in the entire league and constantly getting targeted. But really, like, there is no guarantee outside of three individuals that these target shares are going to stay consistent. And so finding the 5% wide receiver that has a chance at 15 points, that is still like the most obvious route to go as opposed to chasing chalk in this game because chalk is what seems to fail over and over again. Yeah, and the, the crazy matchup last week was the uh, Philadelphia-Tampa Bay game, and it went crazy. Tomu had an amazing game. Matt Colburn on the ground had an amazing game. But it's like if you told me before the game started, that's the game you need to stack around. Like it was a gobs and gobs of touchdowns and points all over the place. Um, but if you told me that was the game to stack around, I would have probably whiffed um, at least one or two of the spots as I try to create a, a game stack because it just kind of goes to show like – if you have a, have a team, say, example, um, 
like Tampa Bay. And even if you told me Jordan Thomas is going to be the winning quarterback, there isn't a super intriguing or obvious person to pair him with on that team. And so it's like, well, that's the thing that matters most is having a little bit of confidence in the guys that you're firing up that are going to be that are going to be um, strong plays when that script works out. And in this game, it was uh, Cheyenne O'Grady came back to life uh, five weeks after the last time we saw him do it um, with a two touchdown game. And so, yeah, that was the guy you needed from that. But, you know, overall just kind of goes to show like you've got to have at least some floor of projectable volume for us to really consider you in the player pool. Otherwise you're just throwing darts. Let's go ahead and actually continue on with Cheyenne O'Grady in the first game here. Yet again, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, the four-game slate being the big-picture focus here. And you mentioned Cheyenne O'Grady, five targets last week. And that's my thing, is that despite having two touchdowns, still just five targets. And what we saw was at least, I'm counting in my head right now, seven players on Tampa Bay have at least four targets. So two touchdowns, yes, but also very volatile and not worth chasing, in my opinion, since Jordan Tayambu spread it out. And on that note, I'd love to get your thoughts on how you were configuring and how are you plotting for this game because we are expecting Tiamo to be the highest roster quarterback in the slate for obvious reason, especially because now he's had at least six carries in three consecutive games and nine carries in back-to-back games. Yeah, he's really starting to show off a rushing floor, something that we knew is obviously in the toolkit, but he certainly hasn't brushed off until the last two weeks. Um, but trying to figure out who to pair him with is an absolute nightmare. Um, as you're looking at sort of the top contenders, like you could talk about O'Grady, but simply not enough volume there ever since they've you know, included a two tight end rotation there. He's just not on the field enough uh, for anything reliable. Derek Dillon looks like a decent wide receiver, but he pops up on the injury report yesterday uh, after not appearing on it earlier in the week. Um, I'm assuming he will be up and active and playing but um, you can't count on that at all. And that to me leaves John Franklin, a guy who had very limited volume last week, but is still on the field a ton. And that's ultimately what we want is to be able to rely on some of these guys for consistent, projectable snaps and targets. And so, you know, as we're looking at John Franklin, 86% snap share last week, 94% the week before that, he's out there running a lot of routes. He's clearly the team's wide receiver one. So if you are going to stack around Jordan Tiamu, I don't think you need to get too galaxy brain. Just keep it simple with John Franklin and hope that he ends up being the guy for you. For the backfield too, I know people want to play Darius Victor, but my concern is that he only has one more touch than Trey Williams in the past two weeks. And so it's still genuinely a 50-50 backfield touch share at least. And that's why I don't think it's worth like going overboard and over-rostering Victor, who is the field's favorite, compared to Trey Williams. That's why I, I tend to just shy away altogether or maybe even play Trey Williams with oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking about New Jersey backfield now. Um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and go to New Jersey backfield. That's my thoughts really quick. And then very quickly, I will say for Tampa Bay's backfield, that's where initially I was trying to go. Uh, last week we saw with BG Emmons back, he had one more touch than Juwan Washington. So Juwan Washington two weeks ago, 100% of the backfield touches. No other running back got the ball whatsoever. Emmons comes back, back to a split. Thus, assuming Emmons is in this game, we don't need to worry about Washington, in my opinion, and that's why my focus then goes to the New Jersey backfield. 
Yeah, so uh, Tampa backfield first, I would say that, uh, you know, Emmons was really attractive earlier this season when it, he had a real clear locked and loaded role as the RB1 on that team. It was Juwan Washington coming in on passing downs only pretty much. Um, but last week, that certainly wasn't the case. Washington, 53% of the snaps compared to 42% for uh, B.J. Emmons. So uh, Washington getting a little bit more run last week. But uh, overall, you know, I think Emmons is the guy they feel more comfortable with. Uh, we've seen a little bit more explosiveness from Jawan Washington. But overall, I, I don't think there's very much separating them two at this point in terms of how they would project in this particular game. The running backs from the other team obviously are much more interesting to me. Um, you've got – and you can't really talk about those two running backs without also talking about the quarterback situation for New Jersey and the fact that DeAndre Johnson is no longer um, going to be suiting up for them this week. He obviously had a knee injury um, in week six. And uh, so he's not available. It'll be Luis Perez's job um, to rock and roll with out there. And uh, former Pittsburgh mauler Kyle Laletta will be out there backing him up. So with Perez in there, it's going to be a different offense. It's going to be uh, much more pass-based. And to me, that fits more in the skill set of Trey Williams. Now the question becomes, once they get you know, down close you know, into scoring position, you know, what does that mean for Darius Victor, a guy who's had no problem finding the end zone pretty much every week uh, for, for the generals? You know, without the threat of DeAndre Washington, could that give Victor even more rushing touchdown upside? Or do they simply maybe they're not even as effective moving the ball with Perez as they were with Johnson? But Perez looked fine last week. Uh, he's been kind of up and down as a prospect throughout the time. But uh, I would say I feel a smidge more confident in Trey Williams as a floor play uh, and the fact that he's going to be catching passes out of the backfield. But, you know, it, it kind of all comes down to some touchdown luck. And I don't think any of us really can project uh, where those touchdowns are going to go. I tend to think that they're actually throwing for a few more passing touchdowns uh, than they would ordinarily project for uh, with DeAndre Johnson and a quarterback. We've also seen Kevontae Turpin get consistently – at least three carries per game to go along with his targets, uh, a season high 11 targets just last week. So although I do think the offense could bottom out with Perez instead of DeAndre Johnson under center, I still like getting Turpin involved. He would be my run back for me. And again, you don't need a run back, but I just think he's an awesome play that should be honestly 10 K at this point. If you're playing Tiamu also a unique way to play Tiamu since everyone will probably maybe just play the Tampa Bay offense in general and you mentioned the the passing game i agree it would be williams for me especially because i don't really question whether darius victor is going to go inside the red zone i would expect him to but how often will they get to the red zone and thus i'd rather have the running back reception so i lean mm -hmm. trey williams in that case and as we move along here we are going to try and find other quarterbacks that we can play over Tayamus, and that's kind of the goal this week since we know where everyone's going to go. And with that, I want to go to the next game and the New Orleans Breakers and the Michigan Panthers because especially on the New Orleans side, I know we have some quarterback shakeups you would like to discuss. Yeah, so uh, for the Breakers, obviously Cal Slaughter will continue to uh, operate as the, the lead quarterback here for this team, but also you've got uh, our guy Shea Patterson uh, who now comes over from the Michigan Panthers um, was, was cut earlier this week and claimed on waivers by the breakers. And I don't know whether they have any intentions of doing anything with Shea Patterson. He will be inactive this week, um, but they, they could be doing this a little bit strategically also to get, get some ins and outs on the Michigan playbook. You know, we see this occasionally 
um, in the NFL where a guy will get released and the team playing him sometime in the next month will pick him up off waivers and get the skinny on the playbook. And it's it's sort of a strategic game. So uh, I don't know whether Larry Fedora is playing 4D chess or not, but we don't have to worry about it this week. Uh, the real question mark at quarterback comes on the Michigan side with how they are going to replace Shea Patterson. Obviously, um, we saw Paxton Lynch get a start at some point earlier this year before uh, hurting his knee. He actually was moving the ball fairly well in that very small glimpse of time. But Michigan also has Josh Love, another former Maulers quarterback, um, to choose from. So it'll be either Love or Lynch back there for Michigan. We just really don't know who. And I don't know that it matters for us unless you're playing showdown in terms of uh, who the starting quarterback is going to be. Uh, the, the team, the Michigan did tweet out a picture today of Josh Love. Take that for what it's worth. I don't really know. Um, maybe they're trying to pump him up as their uh, presumed starter, but uh, Paxton Lynch will be back up and active for the first time since that knee injury. And although it can go it can go wrong very quickly with Paxton Lynch under center, I do think when you're talking about rushing quarterbacks, like that's the kind of equity I'm looking for. Uh, and so... In tournaments, I'm not really looking to play Tiamu. Like, I actually wouldn't mind flinging Paxton Lynch out there, knowing he's familiar with the system and he's the one who was competing to begin with before injury to be the starter alongside Shea Patterson. Maybe he would have even replaced Patterson by this time if he didn't get injured and was out for three games. So, I do like mixing in Paxton Lynch for sure this week. And then, if you mix him in, of course, it's pretty much. Lance Lenore, who comes along with them, given that Lenore has at least nine targets in five of six games this year. And maybe Lynch is not a significant upgrade, an upgrade at all over Shea Patterson. But remember, like we had struggled to play Lenore because of Shea Patterson. Now he's out of the way. So I would just like to cling on to that target share at what I still believe won't be like at least 20% rostered. Uh, and so I still think it's going to be low owned compared to what Lenore should be with Patterson out of the way. Yeah, I think Lance Lenore looks like a perfectly fine play this week. I would not hesitate to fire him up, particularly in a matchup where we do project them to, to trail throughout the majority of that game. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to go to Lance Lenore here. Uh, another key shakeup here is at the running back position for Michigan, mm -hmm. where Stevie Scott is not going to play. He will not be suited up, not be active this week. That leaves the Panthers with two excuse me, two running backs in um, Reggie Corbin and Cameron Scarlett. So Reggie Corbin locked into a monster workload. We saw that big workload last week. Um, a little bit of the Mark Thompson problem with Reggie Corbin in the sense that he had not been a particularly high-involved pass catcher. Um, you know, he's going to have to get there on the ground. So sort of that, that Derrick, Henry, Derrick Henry problem. When he erupts, you absolutely must have him. But um, if he's not involved in the passing game and he – fails to eclipse the 100-yard bonus or fall in the end zone, then he's an easy fade. So I uh, just got to pick and choose how you want to attack this Michigan side of the ball. You know, as far as you know, sort of looking at game stacks, you know, a, a quarterback change for Michigan certainly at least shakes things up for them and puts them in contention. So if you wanted to go with, say, a Slaughter stack, you could definitely bring it back with either Lenore or Corbin, but I don't think I'd get uh, too cute beyond those two guys. Given that Scarlett had been third in this backfield in touches every single week since week three, the low man on the totem pole, and now Scott is out of the way one week after Corbin out-touched Scott 17-3, to I do think it's going to continue to be a massive workload. And that's why I really don't mind. Let's say you don't play Lenore. 
I don't mind kind of stacking the odds against the breakers offense, which we've seen is they have the right idea, but they genuinely just cannot execute with their quarterback play. Uh, and Jordan Ellis is, and I understand they've gotten Anthony Jones involved, but Jordan Ellis is just so sloppy and slow that they just offer no explosiveness outside of Anthony Jones, big runs. So I don't mind correlating Reggie Corbin with Michigan defense as well. I think I'll probably actually lean quite heavily in that direction for tournaments. Yeah, we've seen Slaughter be a, a little bit sloppy with the ball in terms of uh, hanging on to possession. So that's definitely in play. We've also seen them probably showcase as much ceiling as some as any team sure. uh, in the league at times. When when Jay Adams gets going and the ground game's hot, like this team can really get going. Um, they've just been a little bit inconsistent, especially the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kyle Slaughter fails to even get to 100 yards passing, but they didn't need to either. So it's kind of uh, we've seen some funky game scripts so far here in the USFL. I would I would just suggest everyone think about what game script you want because I think both Lenore and Corbin are awesome plays. But if you think the breakers score, Lenore's the better play. If you think Michigan sort of has their handle of this game, then Corbin would be the better play. Uh, what about on the breaker side of the ball for you? Yeah, so keep in mind Sean Poindexter will be back up for the breakers this game. He missed last week, so he'll probably go back in the starting rotation. Um, and, and remember, we've seen him – when he got injured a couple, when that he initially suffered that injury a couple weeks ago, that's when Taiwan Taylor came in in the second half and emerged, and then Taiwan had the starting spot. But when Poindexter comes back, so far anyways, and again, I don't like to assume with the USFL, but that's when they have taken Taiwan Taylor off the field. So I would imagine, despite seeing the six targets last week, uh, Taiwan gets taken off the field here. Yeah, and there may be enough room for him to still get a little bit of run out there, but yeah, I would definitely say... Um, and we also don't know exactly how up to speed everyone is. Like the injury reporting still a little leaves a little to be desired. We don't know if Poindexter's kind of um, break glass in case of emergency or whether he's rocking and rolling. I probably stay away from both Taylor and Poindexter this week. Focus your efforts on Johnny Dixon, Sal Canella, Jonathan Adams. Those would be your, your core three guys, I think, for that team. But the one the one guy you may have a hard time getting away from. It's just Anthony Jones down at 4,400. Not that we're super concerned about prices here, but uh, obviously it helps to have uh, at least one guy in your lineup who makes everyone else affordable. Um, yeah, He looks like he's stolen the starting job away from Jordan Ellis, at least for right now. Um, you never really know how coaches are seeing these things, whether they see it the same way or whether they feel any sense of loyalty to whoever the guy is that's getting outperformed. But we also have seen Jordan Ellis pop up on the injury report. He is listed as probable, but he's dealing with an ankle injury. Just more reason for things to go right for Anthony Jones. Um, yeah, I think I could see why Anthony Jones might not project out like a true stud across the industry because there is a little bit of competition going on there, but I'm perfectly fine with going with him. It looks like an explosive runner and really is basically the only spark that the uh, breakers offense has had over the last two weeks. That's actually a terrific point because even though Ellis is probable, we have seen is that pretty much if you're on the injury report at all, like it's very volatile this year. Coaches will, and it goes across the board in, in this league, coaches will legitimately just take you off and like play you for limited touches besides that. So that's a good call because Anthony Jones has been explosive. So maybe maybe you game stack those. I need to think about that one. But yeah, I, I like Anthony Jones for sure. Before we move on to the Sunday games, though, quick reminder, we talked about it at the top of the show, but 
if you want to get involved to run the Sims for all of these reasons, the Discord, the projections, promo code 444 saves you 10% off the USFL tools and F1 tools that are happening there as well. I haven't gotten into the F1 streets just yet, but I know TG Hernandez, you, Justin, and several others are very, very big into it as the sport continues to expand. So promo code 444, that's how you get in the Discord where Furby is helping us all out every single day before kickoff. Uh, moving on to the Sunday games, though. We start with the Birmingham Stallions at the Pittsburgh Maulers. Let's start with the Birmingham side because I think the fact Jamar Smith got used heavily finally over Alex Magoo while Magoo was healthy, that's that's also a reason that we can play. Like That's another quarterback with upside. And Magoo did come in for six carries. That's concerning, sure. Um, or six carries on the allotted amount of dropbacks he had as well since they were scrambles. But overall, like the fact that Smith continues to be the guy that moves the ball and scores touchdowns for them. Um, I also don't mind taking a chance on him. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't get on board. I don't think this week with either Birmingham quarterback, there's just too much uncertainty about who's even going to be on the field because what we saw was Jamar Smith comes out. He's the starter. He operates as the only guy you know, doing anything until the game starts to get a little bit dicey and competitive. And he just, he didn't have it. I mean, I think that's really what it came down to. And I think Skip Holtz is actually playing this pretty perfectly at the quarterback position where he's not, I don't think, going out there with the idea of we're going to platoon this the way Mike Riley and the generals were doing with Luis Perez and DeAndre Johnson. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, well, I've got a starter. And last week, the starter was Jamar Smith. And he's my guy until he just shows that he doesn't have it that day. And the week before is the exact opposite. And he's just going to his bench and bringing in some fresh blood. And that's what we saw. So Alex Magoo had 36% of the team snaps. And that just scares me off of Jamar Smith. And, you know, granted, this is not a bad matchup. Uh, probably not one that gets super explosive and like uh, haymaker for haymaker type of thing, I wouldn't think. But um, it's just there's too much uncertainty here for Birmingham. You know, the same thing is true for Michigan. Too much uncertainty there for me to want to lean on any of those quarterbacks. You know, we're just we're trying to make ways for us to whittle down that player pool. And and for me, that's a good enough reason to just avoid the quarterback here for Birmingham. Okay, maybe you talked me off of him for four game slates, but I don't know if there's a two game slate. I haven't looked at it on Sunday. Yep, uh, okay, good. Um, I think I want to use Jamar Smith. I like Jamar Smith, but I also like Cavley. Cavley is that you pronounce Bad. it? Badly. Badly. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I like Badly as well. Who is uh. A, a not a poor thrower of the football, but the fact he's had at least four carries in back-to-back games now, and you know where the ball's going. Like, you know it's going, essentially, and I understand we got some surprises last week, but basically it has still been Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker anytime they've been on the field. Um, so you add a little bit of rushing upside, right? And then you add the fact that you know where the ball's going against a Birmingham offense that scored at least 30 points in back-to-back games and four or six games this year. Like, I think we do get some juice to the air because I think Pittsburgh is slowly figuring out that, as they showed last week in a competitive game, they can't run the ball, like, at all. When you give Groshek 14 carries and he returns with 10 yards, uh, as Tube Sox says, badly, uh, it's it's not great whatsoever. And so the fact they're actually putting the ball in Lee's hands more, it's volatile, but I also like don't think he's a bad play at all. No, I played a lot of them last week and, and honestly kind of got bailed out there at the end with, with sort of the, the 
garbage time. It reminded me of Blake Bortles and we used to trot him out knowing that uh, he may have three points for you through three and a half quarters, but he was going to come through with like uh, two or three touchdowns in the last few minutes as they're getting smoked. And so that's what we saw with Badley last week. Um, and I should point out the receiving group here, you know, we, we love a tight target tree. It gets even tighter this week because Trey Walker will be out. He is uh He's been served a suspension by the league for fighting in the last game. And so with Trey Walker out of the picture, it's wheels up for Bailey Gaither. He becomes a really tough fade this week. And I think if you're playing tournaments, you're looking for a reason to fade him. And you just got to figure out how you take advantage of that. And so in situations where Bailey Gaither fails, uh, which is probably not a ton of situations given how much volume he's projected to get, mm -hmm. but if he fails – is it because one of his uh, one of his teammates did exceptionally well and, and took all the you know touchdown opportunities? In which case, you know Delvon Hardaway uh, would be in contention there. Um, they've got a new guy who just came off the street last week, Isaiah Henny. He popped up. Um, he'll be a big part of the game plan this week. So you know you could be looking at other pass catchers, or you could just fade the Maulers' offense and say, well, they're going to have a horrible day. Stallions' defense is legit. Go fire up Stallions' D, and that could be the way that you fade against Bailey Gaither. But uh, maybe the move is just not to galaxy brain it and take one of the free squares of the week, which is Bailey Gaither as the unquestioned number one option in a team that's going to be trailing for four quarters. Do you think he will be high rostered Gaither? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only thing is like, I'm not sure whether his suspension is like it, the, the league tweeted it out, but it was kind of disguised in a way. Cause it came from Mike Pereira, the head of officiating. Sure. Um, so I don't know whether everybody is on this piece of news or not, in which case that could keep it down. The more it's down or the more I think it might be down, the more I'm interested in just locking him in and, and taking the free square, especially at a receiver position. And we've seen his ceiling. It's just it's monstrous. He's one of the highest ceiling receivers, if not the highest in the entire league. Well, I was not aware of it. So apparently it's being kept down. So good. There you I'm, go. Again, this I'm is glad, good I'm glad I did it. I'm glad Hopefully I did the show. Hopefully, nobody's watching this show right now, Daniel. <laughs> At least Furby and Tube Socks are, no, for sure. Uh, right. What else? Do you have any other thoughts? We we know we can't go to the Pittsburgh uh, backfield. Do you have any thoughts on the Birmingham backfield, though? Yeah, so we're trying to still figure out. We'll, we'll get some news tonight on whether CJ Marable will be up or not for this yeah. team. Bo Scarborough is actually on the injury report. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's anything major there, just some lightweight maintenance, I'm guessing. He certainly didn't look slowed down at all at any point uh, during last week's game. But if Marable comes back and they're splitting duties, uh, you know, both of them become almost unusable if they cannibalize each other's workload. Um, so I, I think overall I'm, I'm waiting for that injury report to come out. Now, if C.J. Marable is out once again this week, then it becomes wheels up for Bo Scarborough. No real reason not to play him. He'll be looking like a smash spot. Otherwise, you know, you're making d decisions off of you know, ownership, projected ownership and that sort of thing in terms of whether you think you can stomach playing him or not. And we will be getting that news tonight, right? You said? In theory, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as, far, as far as we know. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and move on to the final game then. And it is an interesting one that is likely worth waiting on for a few late swapping opportunities. And that is the Philadelphia stars and the Houston gamblers. And it's interesting because as Furby, even watching the show, always on top of it notes here 
something I was going to ask you, and that is the Stars averaged 12 and a half running back carries a game, but last week had 25. Seemed to move more to the running attack and only allowing Cookus to throw 20 times. And so, in the fact that they were explosive, do you think they go back to the running game now, or should we still like bounce back on Cookus and expect 35 plus attempts? I remember we were talking about this in the Discord about three weeks ago. There was a game, uh, the, the Stars lost, and they were, uh, Bart Andrews and the post game presser said something along the lines of, we've got to get better against the run, and we've got to start running the ball ourselves. And basically, ever since then, we've seen the Stars actually trying to establish it on the ground and they've got good running backs and they're they're they create natural running lanes I, I think they may have one of the most talented backfields in the league from top to bottom with uh paul terry darno hall and matt colbert i think they're great um and so i think that's the way they would want to play now last week the game script just got crazy plus matt colbert was breaking big runs it just was a perfect recipe they didn't need to throw the ball and so i think you'll see them squat on a lead if they can but I do think last week is at least a little bit of an abnormality. They do want to try to get the ball going on the ground just to give Cookus a little bit more time and take a little pressure off. But I don't think their identity is just like fundamentally changed after last week. I, I don't think that's the case. So I think Cookus is actually my favorite quarterback play of the week. Um, what makes him a smidge frustrating is that there isn't a locked in guy there either. It's kind of the same problem with Tampa. Um, Bug Howard looks like the closest thing to a locked in wide receiver one for him. Um, but you could also, you know, contend that it could be any number of guys. It could be Jordan Sewell. DeAndre Overton looks like he probably won't play this week. Uh, Devin Gray, Maurice Alexander are going to be the next men up after that. I should think Maurice Alexander would be a fantastic tournament play this week. He played 94% of the snaps last week, so he, he just jumped right into a starting position that was left open by DeAndre Overton. So I'll be likely playing quite a bit of Maurice Alexander. Um, but I, I like Cookus there, and you know, Houston is – this was really my first week really, really putting a lot of weight on defensive matchups. And Houston just gets torched uh, via the air. And so we're starting to learn just enough about these defensive identities to, to take a little bit of something away. And that's really what pushed Cookus up a notch was um, assuming that Houston would once again be a, a passive for us. You wouldn't need him, well, one, to play unlike last week, but two, to score a touchdown. But if they get scorched through the air, which, yes, um, have been aware of that, then in that case, Paul Terry, I think, would be a good play as well because we haven't seen Terry, Holland, and Colborn burn overlap just yet because, like, Colborn was injured in week two. Thus, it was only Paul Terry and Holland, and then Holland got injured. So then, from moving forward, it was only Colborn and Terry. Last week, of course, Terry basically non-existent. So uh, I guess Terry would be the the sneaky play to stack alongside Cookus, knowing that he's more of a receiver than a running back. Yeah. I, I think the problem right now is Paul Terry's still in the injury report. Still injured. Okay. And well, questionable, but we don't know to what extent he's limited with an ankle injury. We don't have a game designation on him yet. Uh, Darnell Holland was, um, on the injury report as well, but he was full in third on Thursday. So Terry limited Thursday, Holland full Thursday, but we don't have anything, uh, no injury report on Matt Culver, which is great. Uh, and probably is a really strong indicator that he could be once again, the guy again. Um, so 
we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Hopefully we do get some news soon there on, on Terry because him being out changed everything. It made Colburn a fantastic play last week and then Colburn crushed. So that was awesome um, if you got a chance to play him at, at pretty low ownership. And then on the other side of the ball, like, again, you don't have to stack, but if you do stack, Mark Thompson basically is always a terrific option because he's proven he's arguably the most explosive player in the entire league, but also they don't give him targets. They gave him three last week, but they still usually don't give him targets and they still limit his carries. Uh, even last week, he had just 66% of the team's touches, backfield touches with Dalen Dawkins filling in behind him with seven. And so it's, even though it's concerning, like, you know what you're getting with Mark Thompson, you're getting, 12 to 15 carries and you got to hope he goes over hundred yards for that three point bonus. Otherwise it's probably not worth it. Yeah. It was so weird. Like you pigeonhole a guy like Thompson, which we've been doing all year and it makes sense. And, and then all of a sudden he busts out last week with two pass, two receiving touchdowns. Like this guy's barely gotten two targets all year long. And now he has a game with two receiving touchdowns on a game where he had like 30 yards on the ground or something like that. And so it, it just goes to show like it's, Embrace a little bit of variance, especially um, when there's a four-game slate. Like, there's a lot of different ways that stuff can go. But, yeah, Mark Thompson, a guy who can absolutely leave you outside in the rain holding your lunch and just wondering what the world just happened and why didn't you play him because, you know, he's a 100-yard game with a touchdown away from just blowing the slate wide open. Um, yeah, I, I, there's not a real clear pivot on the run game side. I don't think Dalen Dawkins is in consideration at all. Um, you know, trying to figure out the receiving rotation. We saw it was basically Isaiah Zuber as the number one. That's been sort of clear all year long. Uh, Tia Redding, a guy who's stepping into a role uh, after making an exceptional play in week five, uh, comes out and gets 70% of the snaps again last week. And Anthony Ratliff-Williams sort of rounds out that rotation. Not a lot to be desired there. We're just talking about really large field dart throws. Um you know, Zuber's the only guy who's really locked into something, but Redding may be the guy who has got touchdowns in back-to-back games uh, could be a, a big-time player for these guys. And before we get out of here, I would like to get your flag plant. What do you think is the best way to go, whether it be a stack, player going under the radar for the four-game slate? Uh, for me, I still think it's going to be observing or at least acknowledging which way you want to lean in Michigan, New Orleans, because again, I think Lenore Corbin, and as you mentioned, Anthony Jones will probably be a good play, especially if Jordan Ellis is active because knowing that he's been limited, like that still means we could sneak him under the radar at for 20, 24 touches. So I do like that call. Uh, I will be, I will be making sure I'm on top of the injury report in New Orleans, Michigan, more than anything. Yeah, I think we, we still want to make sure we have a real clear guilt, grasp of those injury reports when they come out tonight for those Sunday games. That, that's going to be a big deal. That's going to really clear up that Philadelphia backfield for you and the Birmingham backfield. Those are kind of a couple stories that we definitely want to keep in mind. I mean, I think I'm going to lean towards locking in Bailey Gaither. That's just kind of the way I think I want to do it. Like, you really have to go one of two different ways. You have to play far more of him than the field wants to do or almost play none of him. Um, and I am... Um, sort of terrified and maybe terrified isn't the best way to play DFS, but I'm terrified of getting smoked by Bailey Gaither in such a clear, uh, awesome spot for him, a game where they are projected to lose by two touchdowns. Um, you know, I, I would have a hard time getting off of him. And I think Maurice Alexander is the guy I want to, 
um, you know, sort of make my my low owned play of the week. Um, he'll be in that last game. So you could always sort of build like a case cook lineup with bug Howard in there and swap off to Maurice Alexander. Um, if, if you get in trouble, I think, you know, obviously Howard's going to project for more points, but Alexander is, is a guy who wouldn't surprise me at all. If he went for, you know, eight catches for a hundred yards and possibly a score, not at all. And then he's a smash play. So yeah, I, I think those would be a couple of the key points I want to keep in mind. Um, and then just giving myself some opportunity to adjust to injury news and other wacky stuff, avoid the really fuzzy quarterback situations like, uh, like Michigan, uh, like Birmingham. We obviously, um, are, are not super interested in Clinton Thorson and Houston, not I don't think I'm super interested in Luis Perez. I've kind of been, maybe I'm thinking about it for too long if I'm starting to consider Luis Perez. But yeah, like <laughs> keep it a nice tight core there and, and build off of those guys. But Talmud is looking, looking really strong once again. I like it. I think we uncovered it all. Remember, for late breaking news, run the Sims and run the Sims Discord. Promo code 444 if you're not yet there because we still have, what, six weeks of this thing? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? Yeah, six weeks of this thing. So, until then, good luck to everyone this week, and hopefully we'll be back next week with a Wildcat Shipper. So until then, see you next time. Safe holidays. <laughs>